Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. The weekly wrap on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. It's the breakfast huddle with Elliot Danka, Barty Jagdish, and Ryan Huang. So, just like your passport, your mm. vaccination status has <laughs> an expiry date. Yep. According to the Ministry of Health, a person's fully vaccinated status will actually lapse nine months or 270 days after the last dose of their primary vaccine series. And this is happening from the 14th of February. Yeah. So, the announcement comes as an effort yep. for Singapore to prepare for a large Omicron wave that could see a peak of 15,000 cases a day in the worst case scenario. And that's three times the peak of last year's Delta infections. Over the past week, of course, Singapore has detected over a thousand confirmed Omicron cases. We're talking 1,281, 1,048 imported cases, 233 local cases. The authorities expecting an Omicron wave quite soon. So how effective will the push for booster jabs be in containing this predicted surge in infections? Let's talk about it with Assistant Professor Su Li Yang, Vice Dean of Global Health, NUS Sorcery Hawk School of Public Health. Uh, Prof, good morning. How are you? Hello and good morning. Thanks for having me with you. Uh, we've got a lot of questions and it's going to be quite interesting. So we talked about how in order to maintain a fully vaccinated status in Singapore, MOH has announced that a booster has to be taken within 270 days. Uh, Prof, could you take us back to basics? Uh, why the need for a booster shot and how did policymakers come up with this 270 days period? Those are good questions. I think there are two reasons for this. Firstly, the levels of neutralizing antibodies, that is, antibodies that prevent the virus from infecting cells in our bodies, decline over time a few months after vaccination or infection. At about six to nine months after completing the original two doses of vaccination, we become vulnerable to infection again. Secondly, the virus has also mutated over the past two years, and variants such as Delta and Omicron are progressively more able to evade the antibodies created by past vaccination or infection. So at this point, by having a booster dose, especially the mRNA vaccines, the antibody levels rise high enough to prevent infection for a while for most people. As for high 270 days, I think this is more of an arbitrary number. Uh, vulnerable individuals probably need a booster shot sooner. Mm. And some individuals may not need it until much later. But I think at the population level, it's a reasonable compromise. Okay. okay. You said that, you know, vulnerable individuals might need it much sooner. The authorities have said before that, you know, you just need to wait five months before you get your booster shot, right? Is that too long a period? I mean, should there be revisions to that where people can get it sooner than that, even sooner? I think that's, again, reasonable because we don't regularly monitor antibody levels after vaccination, which mm. may be an mm. indication for how soon we should get the booster dose. This one's just to debunk all these conspiracy theories, right? You see countries like Israel already offering a fourth booster shot. Let's get real here. Is this something we need to look at every year, you know, especially with the current technology of mRNA or maybe when they advance, we don't have to? What are your thoughts on this? I think we won't know this for a while. Okay. Um, okay. I think in general, we understand that, uh, unlike for measles and chicken pox, mm. immunity against coronaviruses is not lifelong, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we just have to see whether there are new variants that come up that are more deadly and that may need regular booster doses. Then. Okay. 
Of course, uh, some people are fully vaccinated individuals. They've also recovered from COVID-19. But I have heard some people on the ground wonder if they really are not required to take the booster shots. Is that something you would recommend or would you say, you know what, just play it extra safe and get those booster shots, even if you aren't fully vaccinated but have recovered from COVID-19? Well, in practical terms, you can think of the infection as another booster shot and it's probably more effective a booster than most of the other vaccines. But Prof, I've I've read papers, right, that uh, people, and and feel free to correct me if I'm totally wrong here, people who have gotten COVID-19 and were asymptomatic, that there is some correlation between uh, that and their own, uh, the strength of their own immune system. How should they approach this need to get booster shots? Obviously, they can wait a little bit more. Uh, what would your advice be to them? Currently, if they have been fully vaccinated and they get infected, then they don't need a booster shot. And that's probably going to hold for a while until we have more, more data. Okay, okay. Thing is, Prof, while we are talking about booster shots, there is a segment of the population, albeit small, who hasn't even gotten their first two shots, right? Their primary shots. That's right. In your view, what needs to be done in order to encourage these individuals to do so? Of course, other countries have been talking about a vaccine mandate. Uh, here we have vaccination differentiated measures. You know, if, if that sort of thing doesn't convince this population to get their first two shots, what do you think will work here from a public health perspective? I think the government here has tried extremely hard. And while we do not have a mandate, the vaccine differentiated measures already approach something similar to a mandate mm. in that tremendous inconvenience to, to these individuals and penalties as well for flouting them. Mm. So I'm, I'm not sure that uh, much more can be done yeah. to push this last group towards getting vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Prof, let's talk about the kids. Uh, we saw a photo of a kid on the front page of the Straits Times getting her shot. So that's good news. It looks like more will be getting theirs uh, progressively. Uh, there have been some concerns. I'm curious, what have you been hearing in terms of concerns raised by parents? You know, what's worth addressing here? I think there are two, two main concerns. The first is Parents and people are concerned about long-term side effects for COVID-19, right? They think for adults, it's fine. For kids, they still have the rest of their lives before them. Hmm. And then they're also worried about uh, myocarditis in children. Right. Um, so I think these concerns are quite reasonable and they're understandable uh, because my own children are going for vaccination soon and we are also concerned, right? But uh, the risk uh, of myocarditis is much lower than that of actual infection. And for Almost every vaccine that we know, uh, there are no long-term effects that happen uh, months or years after vaccination has taken place. What more do you think can be done, Prof, in terms of educating people about all of this? Because clearly, you know, the people who are resistant or thinking twice uh, need to be spoken to, right, by trusted experts. Experts they would trust, Mm. uh, not just the government or the media. What would your suggestion be in terms of reaching out to them in a more customised manner? I think you guys are doing a good job, for instance. Mm. Uh, but you're right that uh, most people are not going to listen that much to experts anymore because you know we have been on the news all this while <laughs> and they prefer to, to listen to their neighbours or their friends who have had uh, good experiences to share. And suddenly, uh, more such social messaging would, would be helpful. But I think also over time, parents will start seeing that the vaccines are safe because more and more children get vaccinated and they'll be persuaded to vaccinate their children as well. 
I, I actually, I'm quite curious, uh, and, and this is on the back of what you mentioned earlier, Prof, because you're an expert in this area. You're a parent as well, and you said that you are also concerned. How can you be concerned when you are an expert? So how do you find that? How do you find that center line to, to do what's necessary? This is a personal question. Yeah, I understand. So even though I understand that the vaccines are safe, the risk is not zero, right? So what if my child is the one in a million, the one in several hundred thousand that gets myocarditis? Um, and what if it is a severe myocarditis? It, it's a little bit irrational, but these concerns are there. Uh, but, you know, we can process it and say that actually the vaccines are much safer than the infection, which is going to come for everyone. Right, right. I mean, you, you can take that rational approach with some people and then with others, you might take a more emotional approach, yeah, you know, yeah, so it yeah. really depends, huh? logic or emotion and other things <laughs> as well. Uh, but let's talk about the future. To what extent is Singapore really prepared? Because let's face it, right now we're talking about mutations. What if there is a mutation against which none of these vaccines work? Uh, how do we then move into endemic conditions in spite of the fact that all of this will come at us at some point. So tell us more about what you think ought to be done, whether it comes to vaccines or other public health measures, in order to be truly prepared for the future. So I think Singapore has done very well. We are now starting to vaccinate the children. So at the end of it, it looks like there will be more than 90% of the entire population that will be covered against COVID-19. At the same time, Singapore is also increased its healthcare capacity. We have expanded it beyond the traditional hospitals. and There are COVID management facilities that can be set up fairly rapidly. Um, and the population has also been given lots of messages and has been used to all the different safe distancing, safe management measures for a long time now. Mm. So I think um, while preparation is never going to be 100%, We've done as best as we can to, to prepare for subsequent ways and future pandemics. Well, thank you so much for helping to clarify some of our questions. Uh, we've been speaking with Assistant Professor Su Li Yang, who is Vice Dean of Global Health, NUS Son Suihok School of Public Health. Prof, thank you so much for your time this morning. You take care and stay safe. Thank you. You too. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.